Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we bring you a situation that nobody wants to find themselves in when we discuss Gerald's game from 19... Nope. 2017. Time. It's a flat circle. 2017's Gerald. It certainly is in this film, too. Before we get started, how was your week? Actually, my week was fairly good. My Halloween was more subdued than I wanted it to be, necessarily. And it was a frustrating day filled with everything that we wanted to do was falling apart. Everything from choosing curtains to, you know, block out all the, the gratuitous sunlight to um, the movies we wanted to watch. Everything just fell apart up until the end of the day. So other than that frustration, I had a lot of fun. So how was your week? Uh, my week was fine. Uh, we are recording this on uh, November 2nd. That would be the eve of the election. By right. the time this comes out, we may be in the midst of a civil war. So to assuage my anxiety, because it's nighttime and I'm allowed, I'm an adult in California, I am about to eat an edible live on mic. Oh my god. So now it's just a race until, Shocking. until this thing gets into my system. Oh, it's 10 milligrams. I will be basically useless once it hits me. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and all others, <laughs> tonight I will be carrying the show <laughs> on my broad shoulders. It should take about 45 minutes. We should okay, be fine. Okay, so... Here's the thing about this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, not much happens in it. Like, a lot this is happens, true. but also nothing really happens. Well, so. it, it's... It, there's a... It's part of a... A theme with Stephen King films, or films, or stuff that's been adapted to film. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of choices where people, or producers, have gone with things like Big Driver and Secret Window and 1408, where it, there's a lot of it's internal in place. monologue yes, and a minimum of characters. Yes, and for because some reason, the alternative is. Right. A thousand pages and 45 well, main characters. Yes, and then there's The Stand. So it this goes either in terms of... it. He has big stories and small stories. Yes. And I think that this one is a small story, but it's very intense. It, I, I think that he probably has the same kind of... He obviously has the same diet of film and television that I have growing up. Yeah. So I have fond memories of those old episodes of Twilight Zone. Yes. Where it's an episode where there's two people in a room. Sometimes just one person in a room. Did but, you ever read the book? Um, no, I didn't read... Well, actually, I read the book when I was 14 years old. I was allowed to read the book. No, first. that's oh my Oh, my God, that's your story. story. All right. I, I don't know. I had okay. no personal experience with this book. Well, I'm not going to talk about my personal experience with this book, because apparently I've said it too much. No, no, no. I, I, I'm fascinated. You're so, so rude. No, so what did you think when you were 14 years old reading this book? That like, I wish I had been older. <laughs> this book is a lot for a 14-year-old, especially right. a 14-year-old with a history of abuse. It mm -hmm. was a lot. Yeah. Um, I I really liked it. I was, I think, of the, of the opinion that they would not make this into a movie. Specifically the, because of the degloving scene. Spoiler alert. Right. Spoiler There's alert. also a lot of... Uh, I mean, it covers a lot of weird topics. It's it, about it does. Uh, cinemasochism. It's about um, bondage. It's about uh, sexual abuse. It's about yeah. and it's not and it's about yeah. bad cinemasochism. Like the right. whole time, I'm just thinking, y'all need a safe word. 
those should those are dangerous things. Right. She needs to be aware of and within reach of the key at all times. Right. You needed to get the ones that have puffiness and and softness. You can't. That's yeah. gonna cut up her hands, like and her wrists. Like he was like, well, the, those ones just break when you really get going. And I'm like, these are gonna cause significant contusions if you really get going. So maybe we there should... was no safe where there was, right. I was just like, oh, everything he's doing is just abuse. It's not. Maybe we should start the description because there's not much to, to it. No, there's not like you much said, to but it. There's, there's uh, some sticking points I have where it makes me wonder if some of these moves are deliberate then the characters have more of a history than yeah. I remember. So, Gerald's game mm-hmm. is named after the husband of the couple that we are following, right. which is kind of also a bummer. The fact that the book is called Gerald's Game, and the book is not about Gerald. I mean, it's fu- it is. Gerald but it is the book fairly soon. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we have our couple, um, Bruce Greenwood and Carla Gugino. Gerald and, what's her name, Janie? I always forget her name in there. Jesse. Uh-huh. Jesse and Gerald. And they are going to their very nice cabin in nature. I mean, we don't know where it is. There's some woods. There right. may be a lake. It's unclear. You no, know, there's definitely a lake. I suspect Maine. Probably in Maine. <laughs> that is probably correct. Uh, and they are going to have a sex weekend. Sex weekend. Sex weekend. They're going to reignite their fires with handcuffs <laughs> apparently that's what they need um jesse has agreed to go along with the game that gerald wants to play and the mm-hmm. game that gerald wants to play is to shackle her to the bed right and then ha- have his way with her now when, when when they're driving up to the cabin, uh, he gets mad that there's a dog in the road eating roadkill. This is a road that very few cars drive down. So right. I was like, and he's like outrageously and mad a man that with there's a dog. huge truck. There's an enormous man with a huge truck driving on this road, right? No. Oh, that's the wrong book. Different. Okay. Different, different book. All right. Different story, different movies. Okay. Glad that he wasn't in there. Her situation would have been even worse if that dude had been driving down this road. Uh, And we see her go try and feed some very expensive Kobe beef to this mangy dog, which, of course, pisses off her husband. So now we know who he is, um, that he does not care about animals. And if you don't care about animals, you should probably drop dead, which, fortunately... Or unfortunately, and she changes into something nice, which is a, a, this long, like, negligee slip thing. She looks beautiful. It also uh, allows her to not be nude for this entire film. So, is she nude in the book? Um, I believe she is topless. I believe that she... Oh, that would be so uncomfortable. Well. I mean, that's nothing compared to the other lack of comfort she experiences. Right. But, I mean, for the actress doing this film, that would yes, be really Yes, yes. So, um... And and Gerald takes the Viagra and then sets up these, or and brings out these handcuffs that are, they're extra long. They're not very short chain wise. It looks like there's about foot and a half, 
Okay. Yeah, it seems that there's not much chain, and they're not friendly handcuffs. No, these are, he right. says, the real deal. They're not police handcuffs, like I said. They're longer than that, unless they're the shackles that, like, they put on your feet, ankles. Right, right. That, that, that could be what they are. Um, and she's like, oh, you know, when I, when I agreed to this, I thought it would be, you know, some of those fuzzy ones. And he does say, you know, those just break or are open when you really get going. And I'm like, yeah, but they won't leave horrible bo- well, Like, she would have, even if they okay. just had vigorous sex with her in those handcuffs, she would have horrible bruising. Right. And so, um, how do I put this without making it sound? I, this is not a personal experience. I used to watch um, Law & Order SVU, or SUV. SVU. Okay. SUV. So, what I've learned from that, and not from personal experience, is that the handcuffs that you're supposed to wear are basically these leather cuffs with yes. like alpaca on the inside. Yes, they're um, usually and they're usually strapped material. beneath the bed. Usually beneath, right? Right. And what bothers me about what he does is he goes to this expensive cabin, and there's this kind of four poster. Yeah. Not all, not with a canopy or anything. No. And he straps her over that so that he's ruining the furniture, he's ruining her wrists. Yeah, he's, that's the other thing is, is that's going to fuck up that that bed right. frame for sure. And there's a really uncomfortable scene where he's trying to get her in the mood by basically being sort of abusive. Then he, yeah, he basically, um, he goes from you like that, you like that, mm-hmm. to like really tipping into a full-on rape fantasy, which right. it's clear that they... Never had a conversation about this. Right. Hey, everyone. I'd like to this first of all say... This is Abony's sex tips. <laughs> say, not sex tips, just life tips. I'm Relationship not, tips, maybe that's... I'm word. not... I'm in no way against BDSM. Mm-hmm. If it's consensual. But to have that kind of relationship, you have to be able to communicate. And these two are not communicating. And have not communicated, which turns this very quickly into a sexual assault because she yells, no, stop. Right. She's not kidding. And he thinks it's funny that she's, and then, you know, then he gets mad. But if he had continued, it would have been raped. He would have been raped. He would have raped her. Now, there are several states in this country where being married, being married negates rape. Um, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, so that is, you, you, you're sort of immediately, whether or not you've ever had any kind of sexual experience like this, right. it should be apparent to you that this isn't okay. Like, the game that he wants to play in the first place is fucked up and abusive. Right. Uh, and then... You know, as they're as he's mad at her for being a tease. Although she did no teasing. Well, yeah. That's the way he sees it. I mean, yeah. This is how he sees it. And of course he's got Viagra in a system, so mm-hmm. now we get the very common male refrain of blue balls are real and there's a point of no return. No, there isn't. I'm not sure what the point of no... That's, that like happens when you're exploring the upper stratosphere or something. It's not something that happens with your own body. I, I'm like... If there's a point where you need to come or you're going to be in horrible pain... This is going to be a very graphic conversation. Hi, everyone. So hi. Not safe for work. We're talking um, about Gerald's game. Right. It's not safe for work. Um, 
then you there's a bottle of lotion in your hand like you you don't get to just force yourself on somebody because now you're going to be uncomfortable if you don't finish guess what ladies are also uncomfortable when we don't finish and it happens so much (laughs) is the edible hitting me i don't know (laughs) so uh in summation or long story short gerald gets himself overly worked up and dies on her just like she is both of our hands are now shackled to the bed right on opposite posts so she's spread eagles she's only not, her legs are Carl free Gugino, god bless her lovely lovely woman that she is is tiny she is tiny and so when she's spread out in this bed no she is really spread out just to get yeah. to either side of it the, the width of it um and so she's this corpse falls on her. She kicks it off. And it she rolls is off strong of enough to get him off of mm-hmm. her. And he rolls onto the floor. Right. And then the rest, the the bulk of the rest of the movie, uh-huh. we're doing time jumps. It's getting dark. We see her. We don't just watch her for two hours just screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just her. She has. She's visited by three ghosts. She, I mean, Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the first person that she talks to is Gerald. Right. So Bruce Greenwood comes back and is an active participant, even as he is a corpse on the floor. By the it's way, it's like the Saw movie. Good on him staying in shape. Yeah. No, he definitely worked out before this right. movie. It's although like... he's been in some stuff lately and they're really pushing him as a sex symbol. Now, in this movie um, and in The Resident, uh-huh. especially season one, He's uh, an asshole. Please don't sleep with He's this person. He's really good in that part. He really he is. nails that character. Really I well. hope that that means that he's like a super good dude. Right. Because, yeah, he he's real good at playing an asshole. And so she, the first thing is he sort of rises. His, it's not his ghost. He sort of rises up from the floor and she's like, oh, thank God, thank God. And he berates her for being so stupid. To believe that what she is seeing is actually right. him, he's and he's like, you know, you you listened to my breathing for the last eleven years, and you haven't heard it in the last several hours, well, and you think I've I've right. come back? Like you, you're you're so desperate, and you're so you know not thinking ahead, and this that, and the other. It's really uh, he's really critical he's of her. Like it doesn't stop after death. No. Her picture of him. I remember reading and we were watching it with our other roommate who uh, found an old uh, uh, self-help book that is very interesting. I think it was like a, a galley. It wasn't even the actual book itself, so I don't know if it's been published. It talked about the phantom community, which is the voices of other people in your head that you kept with child, from childhood or your young adulthood or people like, for instance, if you had a really great relationship with grandma she kind of stays in your head as part of a community of people that you talk to. Okay. And so this story is really about the phantom community that Jesse has. Yes. Only it's just her. The only ones Mm -hmm. we see in the room with her. Right. Are her, herself. Although a more sort of savvy, badass version of herself. uh, And Gerald. 
And I Gerald. want to keep calling Bruce, but his name is Gerald. I know, because the movie, it's called Gerald's Game. <laughs> so, And so she's the, the alternate version of Jesse is giving her good advice and trying to help her cast her mind back to instances and ideas that will help her escape. Yes, like she talks about um, the little blue pill and how it made him thirsty, and it's mm-hmm. a good thing that he did. And right. it, it it leads. So the, this is this is uh, Jesse saying this to herself, and there's a version, and she's up and walking around the room as well. So, you know, we've got multiple Jessies, multiple Geralds. In the in the shots, which is fun, uh, although dead Gerald is mostly probably just a prosthetic on the ground. Right. <laughs> um, you rarely see them both in the shot at the same time. No. Dead Gerald and live Gerald. So right. It's not a big deal. Right. But they probably didn't have Bruce Greenwood just laying. No. Okay, Bruce Greenwood. He lay, lay face down on the floor because it could be anybody at that point. That's what I'm saying. And and um, eventually, also the dog comes in and starts. And that's the other element that we should discuss because yeah. the dog that she fed now comes into the room yeah. and begins eating her husband. Yes. And she wakes up and he's licking her feet at one point, which yeah. means fresher meat even, fresher meat. Yeah, this dog's not going to be happy with the Kobe steak she put out in the driveway. No, no, no. She wa- he wants that just encouraged fresh it. meat. Oh, yeah. Once you've had $400 steak, you can't go back. Um, but she... so. She remembers that on the... First, she hallucinates that she is able to break the headboard uh-huh. and get free. But she isn't. Uh, some time passes, and, and she realizes that there is a water glass above her on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And she's able to lift one side of the shelf, and it slides into her hand, and she's able to catch it. But then she can't get it to her face. And so she, I think, is it the... She creates a straw out of a tag that she has. Out of a tag on the negligee. Yes. yes. So, and it's, and it's, she's being cheerleaded through this by herself, like... Her alter ego. It is very much not herself. She's very much... You'd almost think, like... In a typical DID or multiple personality story, the Jesse that we see giving her directions and talking to the other, uh, to the, right, the other, the, the, the other ghost Gerald, of Christmas past, yes, um, would typically be the one that would be the 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 identity that's pushed forward when abuse happens Gets to, to the protect. Torch. Yeah, yes, to protect. Mm-hmm. The sort of weaker, softer Jesse, right. who is the one that we are seeing, it you know. So it's it's almost like she's got this other identity, but it's only in her head. Like it's she's not, she doesn't. It hasn't been. It's not her coping mechanism for dealing with the world. Mm-hmm. It's just a piece of this her. This is thing. like survival, Jesse. Yes. This is the one who is resourceful and MacGyver's a straw from a, right. a tag. MacGyver's a straw. Who gives her advice and also is keeping her protected from um, Gerald's constant taunts. Yes. Cuts that down a little bit so it's a louder voice in your head, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing is, like, she wakes up in the morning and 
you know, you see her her arms are bruised almost to her elbow. Right. Because um, she's been, she fell asleep and all the weight's been on them. She also starts screaming because she's got severe leg cramps because um, she's dehydrated. And I'm like, I have woken up like that several times in the last year. Yeah, that part was unexpectedly like, realistic. There's little details. There's were. little details. And she's like, they're going to pass. You know, you just have to keep flexing and stretching. Mm-hmm. You've got to, like, but she's, like, talking her through it almost like a like a Lamaze thing. Like, right. just, you know, it, this is going to suck. And, and it's a piece of her that's sort of removed from the situation. Uh, the dog, you know, comes in and uh, keeps... Um, devouring the husband. Devouring the husband, yes. And then we have another visitor, too. Uh, well... Is the yeah? I guess that visitor comes because first. it doesn't. In the beginning, you think it's simply her imagination at night. Yes, the first time you see this other visitor, it's just like a tall shadow in, in the room corner, in the right. corner. But it doesn't. And then she like sort of closes her eyes and it's like, "You're not real. You're not real. You're not real." And then the next day, Gerald says, "Well, that's death." And then. He starts taunting her, and then and she's been screaming and things, and he's like, well, you know, what do you think I did? Do you think I, you know, we've already talked about our neighbors weren't fixing to come down until later in the season. Mm-hmm. You know, I pro- because we were going to have this weekend, I had them stock the fridge, which we know that right. we've already seen. The The landscaping's all done, right? It's mm-hmm. freshly done. The mo- grass is freshly mown, so they're not going to be out here, like, it's going to be a couple of days. So she's all by herself. Before anybody is near here. The, the, the spooky shows up. The spooky shows up. But then he also, and then he, you know, is taunting her and he calls her mouse. And at that point she's like, what'd you call me? What'd you call me? And, um, and then we get this flashback to her childhood. And this is where this book crosses over with Dolores Claiborne. Although we don't see, I'd love it if they had had a, there, there was not a scene, but there is a reference to the well yes. that Dolores Claiborne stuffs her husband in. Yeah, and and so it takes place during the same giant eclipse the, yes. that was the center of that story. Yes, exactly. So during that eclipse, the same eclipse uh, that when Dolores Claiborne kills her husband, uh, Jesse has gone to the shore. Probably they call it that in right. the Northeast. They went to the shore and uh, with her family. She's 12, something like that. I think she's 12. She's not much older than that, and she's not much younger than that, between 10 and 12. And her father in this is played by Henry Thomas because it's a Mike Flanagan movie, right. and he loves using the same people. Uh, and... His mom, or her mom, is played by Mike Flanagan's actual wife, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and mom's frustrated because she's a daddy's girl and she doesn't want to do anything that the family is doing. And so she's like, she doesn't want to go on the boat or whatever for the for to go out and look at the eclipse. And so dad volunteer is drafted to stay back with her. Now, do you think that mom knew what was going on? No. Okay. I don't. I think that she thought it might be a possibility, okay. but I don't think that she believed 
that the, that was happening. Right. Because I don't think even with the frustration she was uh, sharing of the preteen oh, right. attitude that she was experiencing from her daughter, I don't think she would have left her with her abuser. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I. I we don't know enough. There's of not the enough of that story, to presume right. that that was what was going to happen. And during the eclipse, he, uh, her father has. This is a. There's a couple of very uncomfortable scenes in this he film. He is an this attorney by one. trade, and uh-huh. he is extraordinarily manipulative. Right. And he manipulates her into sitting on his lap. Because right. he's like, oh, I just, it's probably dumb. You're too old. But I just thought it might be nice um, to, you know, like for old times for you to sit on my lap. Right. And she wants to please her dad. And so she sits on his lap. And he proceeds to pleasure his himself, I believe, to completion. Mm-hmm. He does not touch her. But while she is sitting on his lap, he masturbates. Uh, and she understands that something terrible is happening and he's just like keep looking at the eclipse so right. it's during the eclipse now i have to say that as repulsive as that is the scene is done as tastefully as you can do it. it is it's that is probably the least graphic thing in this movie right. which is fine because there's a child in that scene yeah so and i'm wondering if they did it I'm I'm sure there's a great deal of editing to make it look like more I uh, bet that, that the, the actress might not have even been present when this was going on. When he's doing what he's doing, I yeah. doubt that actress was on set. I think they got enough of her that they could put her over him mm-hmm. in the position that she needed to be no, yeah. without yeah. him actually. It was done very carefully. To, yeah, I um, think so. But still, it it is what it represents. You see enough to understand what the story, what is going on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this and, and immediately the after the other she scene also it. kind of yeah, like you said, there's a couple of really uncomfortable scenes. That one, the scene where Gerald is talking to his wife in the beginning, she's handcuffed. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple that it, it's you have. Those are scenes you have to get through. Yes. And it's not easy. And the last one is the one between her and her father right. later that day. Um, and because her immediate, once we leave the flashback and we come back into the time, she's yelling at either herself or Gerald. It's, I don't, I don't remember who's on screen for which mm-hmm. of these interactions. And uh, most of it is both of them. Both of her interior selves are there for these sort of, trauma reenactments um her first response is well he didn't even touch me he only touched himself like her first response to this memory is to protect her father yeah and then later um we see exactly why because she says um you know i never talked about we had one conversation what he did and i think it's I don't know which one is telling which, but they're both coming to this realization that the worst thing he did wasn't that. It was the conversation that they had later. That scene in itself is, as as gross as it is, is a really 
well-written, well-acted scene. Yeah. Because you see her father completely manipulate and yep. turn all of the circumstances around yep. so to ensure her silence. Yep. And and, and he, the way he does it is masterful. It is what an attorney would yeah. do, right? It is that kind of thinking. And it starts with this self-flagellation of, I can't believe that I did that. I'm, you know, I may have made this horrible mistake and we have to tell your mom and it's going to be terrible, but we have to tell her. And mm-hmm. immediately she's like, I don't want to do that. Right. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. And she also knows that her mom does not like her. She thinks that her, I'm sure she thinks I mean, that her mom is going to right. blame her. Exactly. But it's just so mortifying. I mean, embarrassing isn't even the word. It's yeah mortifying to think that you're going to sit with your father and tell anybody right. that this happened. And, you know, and he takes that, you know, he opens with that and she talks him out of, and then, well, if we don't tell now, we can never tell. And you can't keep a secret. Well, she so manipulates we have it, to tell or rather he manipulates it so that she thinks it's her decision. Right. Well, be, well, because, mm-hmm. you know, she says, let's not tell. Right. I don't want to do that. And he says, I mean, you know, except you can't keep a secret. So we have to tell now because it comes out any, you know, later, then it's only right. going to be worse. And so that's making it her fault. She doubles down on it. And, and she's then, like, of no, course, no, no, she doubles can't, down. I can't, can't, I can't. We can't. Right. We'll never tell anybody. You can not your siblings. No, not your mom. No, you, we, we can never speak of it again. Um, and then he apologizes again. And then he and looks at her. Right. Looks at her. And this is the only time in this entire scene where he is being truthful and honest. He legitimately apologizes to her and then shifts his eyes and says, besides, I didn't even touch you. I only, you know, right, I didn't even touch you. I didn't even exactly really do what she anything. Repeated. Which is exactly what she repeated. But then she has this realization, this breakthrough as we come back to the room where she is chained to a bed. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, he looked away when he lied. He couldn't look at. He knew yeah. that that was a lie, and he looked away. He could look at me in the. He could look at me in my face when he was apologizing for what he had done, and he couldn't hold my my gaze when he lied. And so that was, and that was a lie. Like, oh, and true. she's like really understanding what the fuck she's been through, and you know, probably tying it to that's why I'm with this. Well, that's what uh, Alter Ego says. Floor. It's like you married an older man. You married a yeah. person who was, you represented yeah. your father figure again. Yeah. Um, and a person who really was abusive. There's a joke that I won't repeat that he, uh, the ghost version of Gerald makes or repeats and mentions how Jesse did not know if this is what he genuinely felt. It was a really derogatory comment towards women. Um, oh, yeah. And he doesn't, she is stuck not knowing whether that's what he really felt or he was just being one of the guys. Right. But it's and so he, and, but mean-spirited she, and vulgar. It's me, yes, it that is. That either way, it's It not doesn't matter. Good, right? If you're okay with, yeah. It, and the gist of the joke is that women are... A life know, support system for their parts. Reproductive parts, yeah. 
a life support system for a, the C word. There's sexual organs, I yes. think. Don't say reproductive, because when you say for the reproductive parts, that insist, it's, that, that not, it's not, it's not. It's only the bottom, being, yeah, right. it's only the, yeah, the part that's used by men. A receptacle for Ugh. men's Yeah, names. it's, I think we get another night, and the spook, the spook comes back. He's very right. big, he's very gangly, it's very much like a Slender Man situation, but then he comes closer, he's clearly got some facial deformity happening, and he has um, an assortment of bones and jewelry. <laughs> well, you gotta collect something. And you know, he showed up, I remember once on the Antiques Roadshow, and they gave him nothing. Nothing. Absolutely Ugh. nothing. Disappointing. Then the next day, I think, is when she just realizes, I can't. And she recalls the night of the eclipse after the conversation with her father. Mm-hmm. They were sitting at the table, and she was asked something about how the eclipse was or what she thought of it, and she breaks the glass. She's, she's holding, holding a glass, yeah. and she squeezes it so hard that she shatters it, which is difficult to do. Glasses are explicitly made, so you don't do that shit. Um, and that gives her the idea... And you, you described for our listeners what that idea is. Of, of degloving herself. That's a what it's called. way to, to that's say That's what it. it's called. Yeah. There's but. a name for it. So that's upsetting. Um, so her plan is she's going to cut her wrist because it's uh, the same reason that you do it when you're going to commit suicide. There are pressure points and veins there that are hard to... That that make it very slippery, uh-huh. and that make and they don't stop, they don't clot very quickly. So she, this seems rough. This is why I was like, "There's no way they're going to put that on screen," and they definitely put it on screen. They put it enough is. of it on screen so that you knew it was happening, but not so much that it became really horrible. It's pretty horrible. It is well because it is what it, it's still somebody. Essentially, slipping their hand off of their off of their hand, yes, right. their flesh <laughs> off of their hand, yes. So she breaks the glass and she cuts her wrist to make mm. her hand slippery, and that's what she's going for. But what ends up happening because she doesn't have a lot of skill with cutting, you know, right. at that angle with a piece of jagged glass. Um, and the shackles are too tight because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Nope. That's the other thing is they this. shouldn't have... Yeah, anyways. Yes. It's it's weird that the thing that makes me the maddest about this is this bad BDSM <laughs> game. Uh, and she is able to pull her hand mm. through the cuff. But in doing so, she basically pulls skins herself all of the flesh like a rabbit off of that hand. Yeah, and it doesn't come off completely; it just folds up. It's like one of those surgeries where they're like, "No, they fold your face off of your face." <laughs> face off. I, I um, yeah. There's just enough of that so that you get a gist of what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's the practical effect on well it done. is. Gorgeously done uh, and disgusting. So it's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and then she goes to the bathroom and she turns. 
she pulls out two pads and puts them now, around this, her wrist. Now, the entire time you were watching And the this... whole time, both me and Stephanie are like, wrap that shit in a towel. Wrap it in a towel? You uh-huh. need to wrap a towel around that. A tie, a towel around your arm, and she doesn't do it. And then, of course, what does she do? She fucking passes out from blood loss. Right, but she's <laughs> trying to drink water at the time, too. She she's is. Trying she's trying to, to rehydrate, rehydrate herself. herself. Yeah. Um, and probably shock your system in doing it, too. Probably, yes. The likelihood that you would be able to make it through what she made it through right. without passing out once is almost zero. Because the other thing is she'd been prone for twenty for over 48 hours. Right. Like, your body just standing up is going to... The, the blood is going to yeah. be an issue. And now you've got thick blood, because you're dehydrated, coursing out of a significant wound on your hand. Um, yeah. So she's able to get up. It's nighttime now and she goes to leave. And at the end of the hall, it's the moonlight man. It's our scary friend. And she says, um, does she say you're not real? You're not real. You're not real. And then she's like, you're only made of moonlight. And she gives him because he's holding this trinket bag. She gives him her wedding ring. Because she doesn't need that shit anymore. She does anymore. not need that anymore. Um, out of the picture. And she um, is able to get into the car. And then she, she... It says she sees him again in her back seat, and that's what makes her go out of control. But that is not accurate. Not that that might remember. be what happens in the book. Um, what happens in the movie is she's bleeding profusely and shouldn't be driving. Um, and she loses consciousness and she drives into a tree. But at that point, people come out. Right. It's really well staged because you see people coming out to help her. My thing with her, with what she should have done, she shouldn't, should probably not have driven at all. But as soon as she starts losing it, I was like, turn off. Turn the music on. Like, uh-huh. whatever is... Turn it up super loud and roll the windows down because that air is going to really help because it's nighttime. So, presumably, it's cool air. It's cooler than whatever's in the truck. That would have helped keep her awake. And then just fucking lay your hand on the horn because what you ju- all you need is someone to find you. Well, she, what she winds up doing is collapsing. Someone who's not a murderer. Right. You you. Know, then she gets found by a murderer <laughs> who then takes her back and tells to her cabin and says that, you're my favorite author. Oh, you have geez. to write this book. It's a different one. Okay. These are all running together in my mind. Um, the She winds up collapsing on the steering wheel, which is what keeps the horn going. So it yes. gets that effect regardless. And then I don't know how I feel about what happens afterwards. Okay. So why don't you tell us what happens and then you can tell well, us why. What happens is that it goes on to do this character, the Moonlight Man, so she recovers. She she recovers. When we see her, uh-huh. it's six months later. Right. She's wearing a glove, mm-hmm. and she's writing a letter. And Carla Gugino can pull off the glove. Very oh. stylish. Yes. Um, also necessary. <laughs> yes. Holding her together, but holding still. Holding her together, yes. Uh, so, so she had she's writing, she's handwriting with that hand. Right. A letter to her 12-year-old self, which right. I don't think I quite... Got that's what she was doing. She yes, yeah, she's writing a letter to explain to her how what she suffered through is actually yeah. what helped her survive. Right, and she says. Of course, you, know, you could also make the case that the fact that she was able to 
sublimate those feelings got her into the trouble that got her in that bed yes, in the first right, place. Right, it's, a, it's one of those cyclical right. things. Um, we know she's had several surgeries. Right, uh-huh. And, um... But then it becomes, to me, the story of her confrontation with this character. Well, let, let's say she, she faked amnesia. Right. So it's almost like she became the tough version of herself. Right. She faked amnesia about the whole ideal ordeal so that she didn't have to... Think about it. Yeah. All right. Which... Also, it saved her the money. Um, she talked about the insurance company paying off on this. Well, and she she used some of Gerald's life insurance to pay for a found, to start a foundation for victims of sexual right. abuse, where she talks about what happened to her every day uh, with her dad specifically. She tells a story that she couldn't say out loud for how thirty years. Yeah. Now she she literally says it out loud every day, in tr- trying to help other people. Right. Um. And, and this is, that's not the part that I have, not necessarily an objection to, but the part that feels out of place to me. And then we we find out that, yeah, about six months, it's about six months later, so several months after this ordeal, um, she opened the newspaper and saw the spooky, spook, sp- spookster right. that she had seen at the lake house. She, they, she talked specifically that they never found her wedding ring. And so, and a while later, this man was in the newspaper because they had captured him. He was a serial killer at this and point. And a necrophile. And a and, necrophile. Yeah. He is, uh, they give his name, and uh, he's has, he has acromegaly, which is the giantism mm-hmm. uh, that specifically usually affects the face and the hands. Yeah. Right? Um so it's he started by digging up crypts and stealing bones and jewels, and then he moved on to eating and uh, sexually abusing the bodies of male corpses. Which makes you think that something happened to Gerald. To after, Gerald, because right. his face was dis. We do see a quick uh, sort of final decomp picture of him as she's leaving. How she sees him last, yeah. his face is. You know, Face significantly off. disfigured, right. but it could be from the dog. We don't yeah. know, but it is likely that it wasn't from the dog, uh, and that's that could explain why he wasn't hurt, um, or she wasn't hurt. He didn't because hurt he her. doesn't pick she up. Wasn't well, hurt. well, she makes that line. Lucky for me, you know, he doesn't pick yes, up women. Yes, right. Uh, and so, uh, on the day that he is being, this says being sentenced, but my sense is it's probably when he was being arraigned, right. uh, unless he just pled for everything, which is probably what happened. Cause I don't, I think also he was not. Well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she walks into this court courtroom. It, what feels very pre nine eleven, but that's <laughs> fine. I know. And she calls for his attention, and he turns around, and then like. No, he's never um, uttered a word up until this point. No, he hasn't. Yes, he hasn't said anything. They say even to his attorneys. Uh-huh. Um, so the entire fun. time mm-hmm. uh, that he's been in in ca- captivity, and um, he walks to her. Which they don't like. Because <laughs> yeah. he's a very big man. Uh, and 
he's like gleeful when he's looking at her. And then we see her father's face over, mm-hmm. over top of it and Gerald's face as well. I believe both men are sort of put over top of this monster's face. And he says, you're not real. You're only made of moonlight. Yeah. That's what he says. He's, he quotes her back to her. And she says, you're so much smaller than I remember. And then she goes and she leaves. So, so what's her, your issue with my that? My issue with that is just that it introduces this character. And then at the very end, what could have been the ending of the story, which is her note of triumph, there's a second ending. And I felt kind of that it becomes about the serial killer for another ten minutes after the story is done. But it's also her looking at the three monsters in her life right she's able to sort of put those other things onto this very real monster that is a monster to everyone else and that's why i'm conflicted about the ending of it because i can understand what they were aiming at but at the same time it just sort of felt like and here's another ending and this is again i didn't have a problem with uh, i do see that i can i can see that that issue and it wasn't enough to to make me not recommend the film. Right. It's not enough to, to ruin it for me, but it was, oh, here's another story that we're dealing with. And it really was but it an incredibly another... unpleasant thing to deal with. It was. And here we go. Let's talk about necrophilia. I go, I, if you can't not. handle necrophilia at the end of this movie, well, but, you didn't watch this whole but movie. But it's, there's, how can I put it? I felt like the Moonlight Man was not a big enough character to deserve another ten minutes added to the film about her resolution with him because he was so insubstantial that she didn't even think he was real. And so, right, but that is—I think that's part of the metaphor, though, uh because the monsters in her life that were legitimate monsters, right? Everybody else would be like you don't have any monsters in your life. That's just your dad who loves you and this doting husband. But they're real. And it's they're they're sort of so it's sort of sort of sublimating that into this actual monster. Also, there's a there's an interesting note of what's monstrous to one person is uh-huh. not necessarily doesn't necessarily act a monster to another person, right? Yeah. So if this thing abused the corpse of Gerald and had had murdered these other men for his, well, yes, because we find know, out he's also and then wouldn't people. hurt her, right? Like, not all mo- like. One man's monsters, another man's moonlight. <laughs> like it's like it's in it's summation, a lot of, one man's monsters. It's a monster. it's a lot of it's. I think it's also you have to have some. Yeah. We're constantly complaining that wait, there's this trail of bodies and they just no. Okay, go so I'll, I'll tell you what I feel should have been done, and it doesn't mean that I have to. I'm not trying to correct the filmmaker or advise them. What I think would have been more effective for this ending is if he played a larger part in the story. But because but what he is larger so part? insubstantial. For the story that we're watching, uh-huh. he repeatedly shows up. At times you can't even see him. 
Well, At I times think, he's literally a shadow in a corner. It, yes, but and it's and very then, possible that though that we were watching this at a time of day. This where is why we have blackout curtains now in the, the living room. Been better. I mean, you know what I mean. But yeah, I just sort of felt like there wasn't. He wasn't enough of a presence to warrant so much at yeah. the very end of the story. But then and again, I that's think, a personal I mean, taste. Even what if this could be one of those rare what if on the way wrong. in because mm-hmm. we do see them in the car at the beginning. Right. What if on the way in, there'd been a story on the radio? A story on the radio or the husband who loves to mock her and how afraid she is, teases her with the story of the Moonlight Man. There could have been something that let you know... Although, well, I mean, he did. He mocked her. He didn't say what he actually was. Well, he mocked her once the the Moonlight Man actually appears. Right. He starts saying, oh, it's death. It's the Grim Reaper. Right. And that's... You're taking it to mean that... Which for him, it would have been. ...an actual ghost at all. He's a figment of her imagination. And so it only knows as much as she knows. Right. So then she wouldn't know that this wasn't death. Right. Um, but she's voicing her horrors um, through him. Right. Because of his habit of tormenting her right, for right, right. his own amusement. So, yeah, that was just my one... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else... How else... There, you, how you could have... What you just mentioned was good. The okay. idea that you, you have... And I don't know that that wasn't the case. I don't remember what they were listening to in the car, so it's possible that we missed that. I don't know. I'm Now right. I'm inserting conjecture, so I don't know. How many know. milligrams is it? Ten. Okay. But I'm just wondering, because I know they're in the car, but I can't remember what they were, if there was soundtrack to that. I honestly feel like there are so many Stephen King stories open with people driving in a car that I, I, I don't I mean, know if yeah. I'm just kind of getting lost with was it Children of the Corn? Are they driving, you know? That's... How much do the two hate each other? <laughs> right. Like, and in this on case... On a scale of like five to eight. <laughs> in this case, you think they're a happy couple up until the moment that he starts being really abusive to her. It's funny radical. because even Carlo Gugino in that very first scene, uh-huh. when they're driving and they're supposed to be a happy couple, I was like, Mm-mm, she is... Deeply uncomfortable it with looks, them. But the Bruce Greenwood's performance, he does a good job of looking, and maybe earlier than that, maybe yeah. when he lays into her about feeding the dog. The dog, yeah. There's a moment where he just seems to be very devoted. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, that is, this isn't about he her. Does, yes, yes. This that's is not what it is. about it's, her being, his devotion to her. It's about the fact that she's a beautiful woman and that she's much younger than him and this is a trophy. Um. The Isn't scene she where much younger than him. The scene where she he recounts um, the reason why he wants to explore this area of his sexuality. Uh, yeah, he, what was that? He said he was impotent. Not impotent. He wasn't. He's experiencing erectile dysfunction. Well, but here's this: what I feel as I remember the story that there was more going on there. Which is when he says something like, you know, it's the real thing. It's not like when you, those other things, when you get going, they break. Why does he know that? And so it gives me the impression that when she says that it was months before he touched her, or months since he touched her, and then he has this moment with her where he experiences erectile dysfunction, uh-huh. and then when he pins her down and gets very upset about it, then suddenly he's aroused. And that it proves to him that this is what he wants. And so it makes me wonder if those months away for a guy like him just means that he's 
being sexually pleased someplace else. Oh, yeah. Or maybe he just discovered that he has this need somewhere else. And that's the reason why he knows the ins and outs of manacles. Yeah, and if their ages are accurate to their uh-huh. real-life ages, and we know they aren't because she was probably playing at least five years younger than her. Right. He is, uh, he, now in 2020, he is uh, 74. Oh, wow. And she is 49. So, yeah, that is a 25-year age difference. Well, uh, alter ego Jesse points out, you married an older man. It's yes. hard with but him, I, though, because he, he looks 50. Yeah. Basically, he's in really That's amazing the thing. shape. I knew uh-huh. I he I put him at maybe fifty three. Yeah, and I knew Carla Gugino was older than I think she is right. because that is how actresses have to be. Um, well, she plays. So a, a I thought range. she was about fifty. Right. Um, so, and I feel like I thought she'd been around longer than that too. But yeah, well, so they are of, in in real life. There are some actresses different. who started really young, or they played a range of parts, because Carla Gugino, I can't remember the first time I saw her, um, but she played a range, especially, I mean, it, within a couple of years of playing the mom in Spy Kids. Beverly Hills. Right? Yes. Within a couple of years of that, she does a scene in Sin City, wandering around completely topless, yes. Or naked, I think, for no other reason than the fact that she's showing off that she's the mom from Spy Kids, and look at me. Also, uh-huh. it's pretty apparent that she had work done, though she purchased that chest, oh, okay. which is fine. It's hers. She paid good money for it. She looks fantastic, but the way that right. the, you could tell by the way that they they were when she, she was spread like this. She's in very good shape, but I think she must have trained like boots. an athlete for this because all the while that I'm watching her strapped to the bed, I'm thinking her arms look really strong. Oh yeah, she looked like she might have been able. Right, to she, that, I, I think if there's a flaw in this film, is that a uh, Bruce Greenwood does not look like he's that much older because he's in such great shape. But he is in fact right that much that older, much older. Yeah. and B. She, when she spread eagle like this, the, her muscles and her arms and yeah. her neck and shoulders standing out, and she looks like she really could just bring her arms together and break the bed. I think what so. they wanted us to think was that she was maybe in her late 30s, uh-huh. and he was in his early 50s, which is right. It's just, uh-huh. they just are both a decade older than that. Yeah, there's there's 50 that... Like a decade plus, There's yeah. the 51 that... Um, I can look, and there's a 51 that, or uh, we had a coworker who's just pointing out Salma Hayek is my age, and she used to grumble about Ming-na. that. Yeah, yeah. Mingda. is my age, it. Salma Hayek is my age, this is horrible. And she really. She's Kim Kardashian it. is my age, so. Right. But Kim Kardashian is made of all recycled parts. I'm well. sorry, I shouldn't be critical <laughs> like that of another woman's appearance, but I, I'm. Yeah, I. That's. Ming-Na and Kim Kardashian are bad comparisons. I will give yes. you that. Because Ming-Na, I don't think, has had the GDP of a small nation invested in her upkeep. <laughs> and, and Ming-Na does something. I think that's yeah. always been my issue with the Kardashians. If all that you do all day... and I think Well, one, I just mean... I'm just right. talking about looks. But I, I think Ronda Rousey is the one who... 
really laid into Kim Kardashian and pointed out my body, every muscle in my body, because she was criticizing oh, yes. her she was for looking, you know, athletic or muscular, said that she looked like a man. Right. It's like every part of my body is built to do something. Every part of your body is built to fuck millionaires. Yeah. And I think that was, that's exactly how I felt about it. Like, yeah, yeah you don't do anything. Yeah. Your job is basically to look like that, and every once in a while someone injects you with something, so I don't mean to be critical. She's been, she's too insulated in her bubble, because she right. has not gotten the memo in 2020 to not flaunt your dumb wealth. Yeah. And she's doing back-to-back, like, heinous things. She is, yeah, no, Kim Kardashian is really, somebody needs to just tell her, hey. Well, somebody needs to tell her husband. Well, well, she maybe needs to tell right. her husband. Well, I'm not sure she's in the position. I'm not saying she's a gold digger. Weird. But. She's not. She doesn't need Kanye's money. I don't think that she <sighs> has anything else to offer except this. And It I doesn't matter. She doesn't need his money. I don't think she, at this point, needs his money. She doesn't. No. At she's this point. She's probably got more money than he does. I mean... Who doesn't want to double their wealth, but she doesn't need it. I think that she stands for something that needs to, and this sounds horrible and very pink, but it's something that needs to leave the world. Yeah, I'm not, and it's not even got famous by a sex tape, Uh because, hey everyone, in case you didn't realize. That's that's yeah. the only reason that we, Ray J makes Raycon earbuds now. That's what Ray J do. Kim Kardashian makes buttloads of money. And then she spends it going to private islands and getting holograms of her father. So weird. Uh, but what I was, what was I saying about her though? Oh yeah, sex tape. It's not about the fact that she got famous from a sex tape. Good. I'm glad that you could, you know, if it was going to get out there that you made the money instead of some other, you know, unscrupulous company or something. But. Yeah, the Kardashians are literally, they literally don't, they do not contribute to society. <laughs> they they contribute in the form of entertainment because enough people in our society find, find that entertaining. That kind of vacuousness entertaining. Yeah. To me, the Kardashians feel like the last people I'd ever want at a dinner party. Like, they all seem super boring. Well, I mean... Maybe sure not Chris, because... At least at the dinner party, I could go, Chris. Did you know when you had your kids that you were going to pimp them out? Or was it just something that came into your life? Like, the, the fact that she's the one who instigated the money for the sex tape, it's like bananas. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah. It, it's, it's, Chris Jenner is a person that I would like to have a conversation with. But every time I just hear them talk for any length of time, I'm just well, like, do they have any like interests or ho- hobbies or you know do they like to read what what is do they think about anything at all ever like it just don't it just and it's very possible that they are deep rich individuals who have just this is so, so you feel that this, this might be a persona, this persona? kind of vacuous, whiny voice that sounds like I don't sheep know that. Bleeding. It's I don't it's, know that. No, but I mean, from the public appearances that I've seen, I yeah. know that we knew somebody who used to watch a television program, which shall remain unnamed because I've not gotten over that. But it's I, 
it just seems like such a weird, vacuous existence. Yes, I don't. I just I, like I, these people seem deeply uninteresting to me. Yeah, like like no conversation at all. I could never be able to have a conversation with. But these this people. is celebrity these days. It's uh, people. It is, uh, uh, in, in, a, in a lot of right places, people who just don't do anything, who don't produce anything, who don't make anything. She's not an actress or a singer or a. It's just a person who's look at my life and look at how wealthy they, I am. And, just like Trump, right. they've gotten very good at marketing their name, and that's as utterly it. meaningless as that name is. It's it like, doesn't, but it. Name? But you put one of and, their and, names on it, and people buy it. And, like and Trump, so that it's is based what on it's the worth. work of other people. Exactly. It's yeah, no, mined from other people who are being exploited, so that their brand can go on, and all you do is surround yourself with a cadre I mean, of lawyers. That's yeah. that's basically how that that's, works. That's what influencers are now right. too, right? It's I'm working on my brand. I need to strengthen my brand, and the brand is what's worth something. So that when you sell your name, uh-huh. it's literally always your name or the name that you've given yourself. That's the income. It's just your name. It's literally nothing else. Right. It just feels like these paper giants, and I don't. Yeah, I have no taste for it. It's wild. It's gross. I don't know how we got into our okay, Kardashian. That, that probably none of that should be included. Oh, it's, it's definitely so... going. So that's the end of Gerald's Game. Would you recommend it? I would, but I have to make caveats to people because I am warning you that, or warning, let's say, I mean, let's say that you were a friend warning. that hadn't seen this movie and you would say, Lemuel, should I see Gerald's Game? And I would say, oh, hell yes, but... I'd literally be like, what do you know about it? <laughs> this is what I would tell you. There is a lot of sexual things that I have to tell you about because you do not want to have this unpleasant thing strike you in the I don't even think I don't even think I have to tell you about them, but I would Well, you say, want to warn the person because if, yes, but, if you're but talking I, to the victim of sexual assault uh-huh. and you're saying that you don't want them this to not be prepared why, for why can I finish what I was well, saying? <laughs> but I I wouldn't step by step. I let them watch the movie with right. the warning that there is um, incest, sexual molestation, and the precursors of adult sexual assault. So you have those keep forgetting three. necrophilia. I do not think people have. Isn't that, okay? And necrophilia. I don't know anyone who is triggered by necrophilia. And see how many people don't like necrophilia. Maybe people are triggered by necrophilia. I don't. It's gross. It is gross, but also you don't see it. Right. It is literally just stated in a sentence, in a news sentence too, like a who, what, when, where, why sentence. It's not graphically depicted. Yeah, you know, I, there's a couple of things that just really gross me out. That's one of I them. Guess. Cannibalism is another one. Oh, okay. Which is odd because I really liked Cannibal, TV show. But I, I go back to seeing the film Ravenous, where there's just scene after scene of people eating weird-shaped stew, you know, oh, bones and stew. Yeah, and right. it's just really gross. I don't want to see Guy So you are, okay. Again. So, well, I guess if you are triggered by necrophilia, then I guess somebody like, might be triggered by necrophilia. That. But there's also cannibalism, I guess, yes, there is, in, and, in that same vein. And then there right. is... There is no animal abuse, though. The dog survives. Oh, the dog does survive. Although the dog gets kicked. He does so, get kicked. Right. Uh... Animal abuse, we should add that to Yes, a little bit of animal abuse. And then, you know, graphic body horror. 
Yeah. Body horror is, I think, the best way to describe it. It's not violence. I mean, no. she's doing violence on her own person, but I wouldn't define it that way. But body horror feels so right. If you can, if you can deal with all the things we just yeah. mentioned, then this is a gr- actually a really good it's film. Great. It's a Mike Flanagan film. He's very good. There's no end of him finding dramatic situations in stories. This is not necessarily an entertaining film, but it's a really dramatic film, and it's really rewarding. I think as it's entertaining. I think. Based on being based on a book that takes mm-hmm. place entirely inside the mind of a woman who is immobile, right, and turning it into a visually compelling film, I think they did that. I think it also succeeds in, and again, it is upsetting that it's called Gerald's Game. Um, yeah, I'm just like, although that's the situation that the, she finds herself in. It so. is, but it's why. Why and maybe it has a deeper meaning. The men in our lives. It has a deeper meaning because maybe we should think of it in terms of Gerald's game was her father's game was the Moonlight Man's game, and this is her winning that game. Maybe. And the Queen's game. That's a different. Thing. That's a different story. <laughs> oh man. But um, but uh, so maybe that's it. Her winning Gerald's game by playing by her own rules. So I guess you can see it that way. But yes, I would recommend it. Just warn people ahead of time. It's pretty rough going. All right. So next week. Next week. What are we watching? We are watching another Netflix film from 2017. Okay. 2017. 2017. It was a good year for Stephen King movies. Wait, wait, maybe. Maybe it isn't. I haven't seen this. Which one is it? It's called 1922. Okay. I remember when it hit Netflix, I wanted to see it. We, I think we started it once and it wouldn't play. Oh, that's it. We would head once. And of those, then... This was our Halloween, by the way. We have, yes, yeah, same thing happened on our Halloween. Uh, we had... Uh, and so we haven't watched this. So directed by Zach Hilditch, starring Thomas Jane, Neil McDonough, and Molly Parker. Molly Parker. I love yes. Molly Parker. Uh, came out 23rd of September, 2017. That is what we're going to be talking about. Okay. It's available on Netflix. Watch along with Yeah, this is one of the easier choices we've made. Yeah, I like all three of those actors, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, in the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Yes, I do. So um, I spent Halloween, for those people who asked, what are you doing for Halloween? Hi. I'm watching a horror movie. And then I realized that you could ask me, how do you spend Christmas? Yep. I watched a horror movie. How do you spend New Year's? Watched a horror, horror movie. movie. Yeah. Pretty much what I do. Um, but there's been a lot of films we've been watching up to this point, and I saw one called Bad Hair. Yeah. From 2020, and I'm in a lot of horror groups on Facebook because technically I'm a horror writer. Although what I write is ghost stories, so there's it's a there's hairs to be split there, but. In a lot of these groups, I'm hearing again and again this sort of notion that horror has one voice that we've been hearing up until this point. Uh-huh. And I think that's right. With the proliferation of... I mean, it, it hasn't always, but that's been the main voice. So now that we have more filmmakers of color, writers of color... And queer writers. And queer writers. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, just non-straight white dudes writing it's, things. There's a different point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Clive Barker as a gay writer introduces a lot of body horror. Absolutely. And this is something that his experience 
can you show him? Yeah. Um, uh, the, you know, he's going to give you a point of view. And you know, I never thought, I never mm. put those two together. I never I mean, put his homosexuality together with the body horror aspect. There's because there's interesting but it elements absolutely of makes sense. beings that don't have genders, beings yeah. that can switch gender. There's a lot of that. And before that, you'd have to go back well, to sex, like, right yeah. Arthur Machen, yeah, uh, which he has characters that switch gender. He was writing in the 1920s, so that shows you how far between you can go with, uh, or how far you can go between authors who actually explore this at all. But um, Bad Hair is a film set in the 1980s about a young black woman who had a really bad hair experience when she was younger. Baby, yeah. yeah. And that now she's in a setting where she's going to adopt the beauty standard of a whole other kind of group of people to survive the kind of power culture at this television uh, this cable network that she works at. Yes. She has a program there. It's definitely not MTV. Right. <laughs> definitely isn't. It has an amazing cast of actors. And it I really like, does. The I people like in the, it were great. The fact that um that there's just stuff that is addressed in here that never gets talked about. I have never been so conscious of what black women had to do to conform to frankly to white beauty standards. Absolutely, but white beauty standards. Um, and the scenes of People's hair being stitched in. I that. <laughs> well, it's not supposed to. It's not go supposed like to be that, stitched in. But, but the idea yeah. that somebody had their hair, and of course, yeah. I have no hair, so it's even stranger to me. But um, God, who is in the cast? I, so there's so many. James Vanderbilt shows up, which Please, is James Vanderbilt shows up. Show up. Elle Lorraine is the name of, and she's really very actress. good. Yeah. Um, but Lena White and Vanessa Williams, and there's no. The Usher, like just Waith. Blair Underwood. I believe her name is Waith. Waith, yeah. Blair uh, Underwood's in it. Yeah, there's just a Laverne so, Cox. Yes, Laverne Cox. Who is amazing at like playing maybe the villain in the film. Mm, um, yes, maybe. But uh, yeah, there's just Kelly so, Rowland does a Beyonce performance. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff for the '80s. That kind yeah. of nostalgia for that period of the beginning of hip hop culture, and when it was trying to find a niche. Um, and people weren't taking it seriously. There's a lot of... Uh, the fact that Vanessa Williams shows up, you know, because this is the period where she had her big public shaming for what apparently now the vice president or the president's wife can get away with uh, because it's a different culture. Also, yeah, no, it was just because she was black. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> was, right? <laughs> but there's really good performances. There's a weird anime feel to the film at times. Especially, and I won't spoil what goes on other than that hair is evil, but that makes it sound like a parody, and it doesn't, because this film has a lot to say. It refers back to slave narratives, to make its point. Yeah. Um, it, there's, uh, there's so much subtext to scenes in this movie. Yeah. And I've been thinking about it a lot now. It's like, it, it, you know, sometimes you watch a film, it's ephemeral, it's there, it's gone. But that movie keeps coming back to me, and those scenes of being straightened and you know burned and in the name of creating this sort of power aesthetic that was not created by or for these people but they have to live with it in order to be able to survive in this environment and then what it's asking these characters to do yeah i don't want to spoil it but it's a really good film yeah no i enjoyed it so so did you have you anything to recommend i liked evil eye 
I recommend Evil Eye. Okay, that's... Evil Eye is another movie in the same... Oh, Bad Hair is in a separate series. Evil Eye is in a a series of Blumhouse on Hulu, I think. Or Amazon? No, it's Amazon. Blumhouse on Amazon. We've seen so many of these films the last couple of days. Yeah. Preparing for Halloween. And it is a... uh, Another horror movie. It feels very much like Drag Me to Hell, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, It... It's a, but it's a, of an Indian family, and I don't know. I'm trying. We were trying to remember other Indian horror movies that we'd seen, or movies with Indian Americans. Right. There's not. There's not. I can't think of it. Not any. here. I'm sure. Yeah. In India, oh no, there, there are. are yes. Shit ton. <laughs> um, India is a very large uh, output of motion pictures. Yeah. I think at one point it was the third largest in the world. Yeah, and uh, and it's um, sort of a possession. Reincarnation, reincarnation sort of story. Story, uh, which which I like. I like the acting in it. I think the writing could have been stronger, but I think it's a good watch. And the act, like I said, the the actors did a great job. Like everybody in it was really good. Yeah, it's it's not a horror movie in terms of gore and no. horror. This is more of like a psychological horror film. Yeah. And it's about generational trauma in a very explicit way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a... I was talking to a friend of mine last night. And it was a very long conversation about how really impactful the, the closing summation in that film is. There will always be men like that. Um, that line... And the, you have no context for it yet if you haven't seen the film, but it really it brings home its point about how to withstand this kind of evil. So, yeah, it was a very good film. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Evil Eye and Bad Hair. Bad Hair. Uh, next week, we're going to watch 1922. Okay. It's and another date that I'll forget. It's only one, one number. 1922 is actually. No, I think You're I can remember that. It. It's the, the, the day, month, and year that threw me off. Exactly. This isn't even I have dyscalculia. I know. Okay. Uh, what was I saying? What were you saying? If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can find us. You can uh, bleh. You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar. Until next week, I remind you to take your medicine. I ask you very seriously to pray for us in the past because we don't um, know what's about yeah, to happen. Yeah, we don't know what's about to happen. I'm I'm very it, there seems to be a um a medium range of agitation everywhere today. Yeah. I so. just gave myself a deeply anxious thought by literally just thinking like when I wake up tomorrow morning what will Donald Trump be thinking at that exact moment? And I'm just like, <laughs> like just this wave of anxiety hit me, and I was just like, I can't. I can't. Uh, judging from the past, something about fried chicken, probably. Uh, so sweet. All right. Uh, and so, medicine, take it early and often, apparently. And we remind you that are late than, than never. never.